Welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Mintert, and today we're going to be talking about the results from the May Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of Farmers from Across the Nation. I'd like to welcome Dr. Michael Langemeyer from Purdue's Ag Economics Department to join us on the podcast today. Michael, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. So just a little bit of background. We survey 400 farmers nationwide across the U.S. uh, to learn a little bit about their sentiment, and we use the results from that survey to generate the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. So that's an index that we started computing back in the fall of 2015. And as we pointed out last month, the barometer dropped precipitously uh, in light of what's taken place with respect to COVID-19 and the decline in prices. Back in February, we were at a reading of 168. Last month, it dipped all the way to 96. This month, we had a little bit of a rebound, Michael. We rebounded to 103. That's a modest increase, but nevertheless, it was an indication that maybe things have stabilized a little bit. Yeah, certainly, and 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 it is very similar to uh, last last year's reading at, at 101. Uh, remember, last year we were pretty low because of late planting and prices hadn't responded to the late planting yet, and so uh, that that was interesting to see too. Yeah, and that last May was the low point for 2019. So we're on a May to May basis, about the same, but we're coming at it from a completely different perspective. Back in February, we were basically at our all time high farmer sentiment is as good as it's been since we've been collecting data. And now uh, that 103 doesn't sound so good. So as you look at where the numbers came from, we always decompose the index into the index of current conditions and the index of future expectations. And they both rebounded a little bit, but the rebound was bigger on the current condition index than it was on the future expectations. That's not real surprising though, because I think there was definitely more optimism uh, short term, and that's what this is telling us, uh, that the index of current condition increased more than the index of future expectations. But if you think about the index of future expectations, not much has changed there. Uh, you know, and and uh, another point I really would like to make is the index of future expectations is higher right now than the index of current conditions. And so it's very important to point out, like we've seen the last several months, uh, people are more optimistic when you're lo- looking at the long term three to five years out uh, compared to this year and and the next year. And that's true. And the other thing I think that might have been driving that index of current conditions higher was the fact that we collected data for the survey this month from the 18th of May to the 22nd of May. And on that Tuesday, I think it was the 19th, was when USDA made the announcement regarding the details of the CARES Act and what the payment rates were likely to be for uh, the various commodities are going to going to receive a subsidy payment here, and so uh, during the course of that survey week, people might have become a little more optimistic based on the magnitude of the payments they are likely to receive under the CARES Act. Do you think that's the case? Oh, definitely. That that's definitely definitely the case. There's a lot of speculation going in. Nobody knew exactly how much of production would be uh, covered under the CARES Act, and what the payment rates would be. Um, some people were probably pleasantly surprised. Some people may be disappointed, but nevertheless, they had more information and, and maybe gave a little bit of a boost to their perspective on the way things look today versus uh, perhaps a month earlier. So the Farm Capital Investment Index 
did rebound as well. It rebounded from a reading of 38 in April to a reading of 50. But again, like the other indices, um, well below where we were back in February, although that move from 38 to 50 was a relatively uh, large move, maybe a little bigger move there than I was expecting coming into the report. What about you? That certainly, that certainly was the case for me also. And, and, and we're quite a, bit ahead, uh, quite a bit above where we were last May. Uh, as I indicated before, the, the economy barometer index is about the same uh, in May 2020 compared to May 19. But certainly people are much more optimistic with regard to farm capital investment index uh, this May than they were the May before. I found that quite interesting. Yeah, and, and actually, if you look at the data, uh, the April reading for 2020 matched up almost exactly with the May reading of a year ago. So that May reading of a year ago was the low point for 2019. It was a reading of 37. We had a reading of 38 in April, so essentially about the same. And then, as you point out, uh, yeah, we had a pretty pretty good rebound here. And so it's going to be interesting to see what that capital investment index does going forward. Uh, again, perhaps the announcement about the payment amounts coming out of the CARES Act might have had some positive influence there in terms of making people feel a little bit better about their current equity position, their working capital, and maybe uh, making them a little more likely to to make some investments. But again, I think it's important to remember that number is still quite a bit lower than it was back in February when it was a reading of 72, which 72 wasn't the all-time high for that farm capital investment index, but it was close. I think the all-time high is uh, 75 or 76, so it was close to the all-time high, so we are well off of that. So um, We always ask people about farmland prices and what their expectations are, and so uh, the first way we typically ask it is uh, to ask people what their farmland price expectations are in their uh, neighborhood or their part of the country looking out 12 months, and then we also follow up and ask them to look ahead five years. And uh, this is always interesting to get an idea as to what people are thinking kind of short run versus long run. So, you know, on the short run basis, people were less pessimistic this month than they were uh, a month earlier. So the percentage of people that expect lower farmland days in the next 12 months really rose dramatically from February into March and April. It went from 13% back in February to 35% um, a month ago. This month, 29%. So that's still a big percentage of people that expect farmland values to go down over the next year. Um, not much change in the terms of the percentage of people expecting farmland prices to go up. It went from 7 to 8%. So Really, the shift was people moving away from kind of undecided uh, into into one of those other two categories, especially the lower farmland price category. And here, I think the government, the the, uh, the announcement that there was going to be some government payments was probably very helpful. Uh, typically, uh, government payments are uh, get, get tied pretty closely to land values. And so I think that was an important development uh, it, when we were surveying people this month. Yeah, so I, but I think... When you think about farmland, to see almost 30% of the people in the survey say that they think farmland prices could head lower over the next uh, 12 months, that's somewhat unusual. We had we had those kind of readings early in the survey back in late 15, early 16, but it's unusual to have that high a percentage of people being that negative about farmland values over the next 12 months, over a relatively short time frame. 
it, it just reminds us of people still pretty negative uh, regarding current conditions. Even though the current conditions did increase uh, from April to May, they're still pretty pessimistic uh, about what's going to happen here in the next year. Another question that we asked, Jim, that's related to, to this question uh, to some degree, and that's related to uh, cash rent. Uh, we, we asked people, uh, first of all, whether they cash rent a ground, and, and uh, not surprisingly, a, a vast majority, 70% rented farmland. And then we asked them whether they thought that they were going to renegotiate uh, cash rents uh, in light of COVID. And I was somewhat surprised to see that two-thirds said no. Uh, so two-thirds said they were had no plans to renegotiate cash rents, and uh, but 27% said yes, and so uh, and so certainly there's some something going on here with the uh, the negativity with current conditions and and some pressure uh, to renegotiate cash rents. That's a good point on the cash rent question, Michael. And that's probably a question I think we're going to continue to ask as the summer unfolds because it's a little early for people to think about 2021 cash rental rates. However, as the summer unfolds, people are going to be having more and more of those discussions. And if things continue to be challenging, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out, whether or not we see a rise or an increase in the percentage of people expecting to see some uh, reductions in those cash runner rates going forward. And I think yeah. there's a lot of consistency between uh, the cash rent question and, and uh, the farmland price expectations 12 months out. Uh, as I indicated, 27% uh, said they were going to renegotiate cash rents. 29% think land values are in decline in the next 12 months. I think that's very consistent answers. Uh, realizing that this current, where we're at currently, is going to is going to create some downward pressure on cash rents and uh, farmland values. Yeah, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out because the farmland market in late winter, and even a little bit in March, was still pretty strong, and so. Not a lot of sales taking place in April and early part of May. We'll see another round of farmland auctions take place here as the summer months arrive. It's going to be interesting to see if we see the strength that was showing up in that kind of mid to late winter time frame uh, continues into the summer. So the other question we always ask is uh, farmland price expectations looking ahead five years. And, you know, parenthetically, people are always more optimistic when we're asking about farmland values five years ahead. And the reason is, if you go back in time, as, as you've looked at pretty extensively, Michael, uh, farmland values over five-year periods typically do go up, right? Definitely. There's only a, a couple of times the last 50 to 60 years where farmland prices did not go up uh, during a five-year period. And so, so you expect people to, to answer that they expected farmland prices to go up. Uh, it, it, interestingly, in the last in the last two or three uh, survey months, uh, there's been about 40 to 45 percent think that farmland prices are going to go up five years from now. That's quite a bit lower uh, than what we what we saw uh, in in in, uh, in in most of 2013. Uh, you have to go back to early 2000 uh, no 2019. Excuse me. You have to go back to early 2019. Uh, before you saw uh, as, as little as 40% thinking that farmland prices were going to increase. And so, and so, and so even though the index of uh, future expectations is higher than the index of current conditions, uh, there's certainly less optimism uh, right now uh, than there was for most of, most of 2019 with respect to this question. Yeah, and we haven't been collecting data long enough to have a firm grip on this yet, Michael, but I guess in my mind, I kind of use as a, a little bit of a line of demarcation is whether or not people are 
um, more than 50% of respondents expect to see farmland values go up over the next five years or less than 50%. And when we're less than 50% on this five-year question, that has a very negative connotation to it, especially as you point out, when you get down close to 40%. Um, with one exception, that's about as low as we ever get on this survey. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out in the next couple of months on the, on the survey. So following up from that, we asked several questions that were tied pretty closely to people's perspective on the coronavirus situation and the impact it's having on their farming operations. So one of the questions we asked was, how worried are you about the impact of the coronavirus on your farm's profitability this year? And we've asked this question three times in a row. We asked it in March, we asked it in April, and we asked it again in, in uh, May. And it's kind of interesting to look at those results, isn't it, Michael? Yes, and, and we're seeing from two-thirds to three-fourths of the people surveyed are either uh, fairly worried or very worried. And so certainly that's a, this, this is on people's mind uh, and is really helping drag down that index of current conditions, no doubt about that. Yeah, just to look at it, I mean, it's it's been pretty darn stable considering the volatility in these markets. So in, in March, as you pointed out, I think 74% of the respondents said they were either fairly or very worried. April, that dipped a little bit to 67% and then came back to 71% in May. So those responses are pretty consistent. There's been a little fluctuation in terms of people shifting from very worried to fairly worried there. And we've seen a little more of a, an increase in the fairly worried column, a few less people in the very worried column. But when you combine them, not, not a lot of change. Um, the next question we asked related to COVID-19 was, what is your number one concern regarding your farm and the COVID-19 situation? And two months in a row now, we've asked this question twice, two months in a row, 42% uh, of the respondents said that market access is their number one concern. Um, and the question was phrased in a kind of an open-ended way, so people were allowed to define what market access meant to them. What, when you read that question to read those responses, Michael, what are you thinking about? I think of a couple of things there. Uh, first of all, uh, as, as, as we know, uh, there's been some uh, difficulty keeping some of the packing plants open. I certainly think that's how livestock producers are, are, are answering that question. Uh, if, you, if your packing plants close for a week or two, you certainly don't have very good market access. Uh, but also, I think from a crop standpoint, particularly corn producers, uh, the fact that the ethanol industry is running so much below capacity uh, it leads me to believe that that quite a few corn producers probably answered that in the affirmative that market access was a very large concern uh, to their operation. And you know, we don't target producers of specialty crops in our survey, but we do have specialty crop producers in the survey because they produce one of the one of the principal uh, commodities either crop or livestock. And obviously, market access has been a huge issue there, right? I mean, if you think of some of the specialty crops, some of the disruption with respect to supply chains, uh, that's had a huge impact on them. And I suspect we had a few responses related to that as well. Yeah, definitely. The number two concern was financial. Um, a little bit lower, but not a lot lower than market access. Came in this month, 39%. Last month, 37%. You know, we've talked about this off and on for quite a time, quite a long time, Michael, but the erosion in working capital that's taken place in recent years, if we have further erosion this year, as it appears likely, uh, financial considerations are going to be huge. Yes, definitely. And it's not surprising that this, 
that this is this is coming at forty percent rather than eighty percent because when you talk about working capital, uh, there's still a, there's still a, a relatively large group out there that has fairly good working capital, uh, but there is there is that uh, that bottom fifty percent, uh, for example, uh, particularly the bottom twenty five percent in terms of working capital, in a very tough situation. And, uh, you know, I think in one of our recent webinars, Michael, you were taking a look at uh, the shortfall uh, that we're looking at with respect to on a per acre basis for corn and soybean operations and well over $100 an acre in terms of erosion of working capital, right? Definitely. Um, Just a very large change from one year to the next. So the third most common response, but really lagging the other two was health and safety. And the first time we asked this question, Michael, I was a little bit surprised that it was as low as it was, but I think you made a good point when we were talking about it one day. You weren't so surprised that the health and safety number was as low as it was. This month it was at 11%, last month 13%. What were you thinking there? There's quite a few of the, the people we survey have no employees at all. And so they just—it's just—it's just family members, and yeah, you're you're worried about family members, but but unless you have a lot of employees, I don't think this is necessarily going to rise to the top above financial and market access. I, I think for some people, this is probably a huge issue, and again, it's the folks that have have quite a few hired employees. Yeah, good point. So probably more concern on the livestock side. Uh, than on the crop side, and then again, maybe more concern on the specialty crop side than than on some of the major commodities in terms of numbers. And of it's important to remember on the livestock side too. We have a lot of a lot more people that are cow calf operations, which would tend to not have very many uh, hired workers compared to a, a swine farm or a, a farm that backgrounds are finished as cattle. And so, our predominant uh, livestock uh, farm that answers these questions is a cow calf operator. Yeah, I think just for reference, I believe in our survey, the weighting on that is on the livestock side, roughly 19% of the producers in our survey each month have a beef enterprise. And the majority of those, as you point out, are are cow-calf operations. So we asked another follow-up kind of question on on finances. And this is not one that's tied directly to the COVID-19 situation, but it is one we've been asking all the way back to the beginning of the survey. And that is, do you think farmers' equity position will improve, diminish, or stay about the same over the next 12 months? Well, the last time we asked it prior to, to May was in February, and the, sh- the change from February to May was astounding. Yes, it certainly was. And, and, and uh, you know, a full 61% of those surveyed thought that their equity position or wealth was going to diminish over the next 12 months. That's, that's by far and away the largest uh, percentage, uh, percentage uh, that the answer diminished uh, since we started asking this question. We've been asking this question about quarterly. Uh, if you go back to May of 2019, another time where people were fairly pessimistic, at least uh, from a current standpoint, uh, that number was 55%, 55% thought their wealth was going to diminish. And I think there's a couple things going on when people look at this question. One of them is that working capital situation. Uh, you know, certainly if, if working capital is relatively low, that probably means that net farm income is not very low. And you're, and, and so, and so there's not going to be a lot of money left over uh, to put into your wealth. I think that's one of the things that's going on here. I think it's also consistent with the fact that we're, that, that uh, almost 30% of the people that are, are thinking that land value is going to decline. By far and away, the largest asset on a farm balance sheet 
is agricultural farmland. And so if you think farmland is going to decline, uh, you, you think that's going, to, that's going to have a very negative impact on your wealth position. Uh, you combine that with, like I said, the net farm income, and you're looking at a, a situation where you, it's a double whammy. Uh, you've got two things going in the wrong direction, uh, creating a situation where a lot of people are going to see uh, some reduction in their equity position or wealth. And as you look at the data that we've collected over time, you could really see the turnaround take place here. So you, as you mentioned, last May was uh, actually the highest uh, percentage of people expecting their wealth or equity uh, position to decline since we've been collecting data. And it was 55% in May of 2019. But as we went through the rest of 2019 and into the early part of 2020, that percentage of people that were expecting their uh, equity to decline kept going down. People were becoming more and more optimistic about what was taking place in their farming operation until COVID-19 hit. And then it skyrocketed from 28% that expected their equity to decline in, back in February to 61% here in May. So you can really see that um, turnaround, a dramatic turnaround in treatment in terms of people's expectations with respect to their financial position. One other um, point on, the, on that, Jim, uh, the really, really small percent that thought their, thought their wealth was going to improve is, is quite remarkable. I mean, this has been running fairly low since we started, this, started the Ag Economy Barometer Survey, uh, but nevertheless, it was only 4% uh, in, in May of 2020. So only 4% of those surveyed thought that their, their net worth or wealth was actually going to increase. Very low number. Yeah. Good point. So we also asked a question about the ethanol industry. And the reason the background for that was the fact that we have a, a large number of ethanol plants around the country that have either shut down entirely or reduced their scale of operations. Uh, I was listening to an industry um, a member talk about it today. And I think their estimate was that the industry was running about um, maybe 65% of the level that it was running this time last year because of the poor margins in the ethanol sector. So as a result of that, we asked uh, farmers, uh, how concerned are they about the future viability of the U.S. ethanol industry? In other words, do they expect this industry to be able to come back from this? And um, the results were a little surprising. I think 38% said they were very concerned. 43% said somewhat concerned. You combine those two, that's roughly eight out of 10 farmers in our survey said they're concerned about the future viability of the U.S. ethanol industry. And that's, that's an important source of demand for corn uh, that's really arisen here over the last uh, decade and a half or so. I was a little surprised that it was 81% and still, until I started thinking about this, this not only impacts corn producers, there's also been a lot of livestock producers just have not had the availability of, of DDGs. And that's certainly impacted, impacted their operations. I'm from eastern Nebraska, and that's been a real problem uh, for, the, for some of the leaders in that area and, and other, parts of the, other parts of the Great Plains. And so this is a question that impacts uh, you know, crop producers, particularly corn producers, but also the livestock producers uh, that, are, that are finishing hogs or, or cattle. And of course, if you have a reduction in demand for corn, that affects the competing crops. So if you think about something that's negative for corn, that potentially means spillover impacts into crops like soybeans and wheat. So uh, there's that aspect of it as well. So our last question was, we asked, uh, did you, do you think it will be necessary for the president and the U.S. Congress 
to pass another bill to provide more economic assistance to farmers. And uh, I suppose it's not surprising that we got a high percentage of people that said they, they did feel like they needed more economic assistance, but nevertheless, it was two thirds of the farmers in our survey said they felt like there was gonna have to be some additional economic assistance coming into the ag sector beyond the initial CARES Act. And so um, I think this is a question we'll probably ask again, Michael, to see now that people know more about the CARES Act, maybe more people have applied for it and have the details in, uh, at hand to see how that changes over time. But literally two thirds, two out of three farmers said, yeah, we think we're gonna have to have more help in the US ag sector going forward. And, and this, the percentage here could actually increase when we ask this down the road, as people know more, have more information about the size of the payments uh, from the CARES Act. I mean, they're not, they're not trivial, but they're not as large as the MFP payments either. Uh, and so I think that's going to play, uh, that's going to that's be an important factor when people uh, take a look at, at the CARES Act and kind of see what their payments are going to be. They may rethink uh, this question or how they answer this, uh, answer this question. But, but also, given the fact that the working capital, is, it, it looks so bad, uh, it, 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 particularly if corn prices stay relatively low, uh, I, I, think, I think this is something that the percentage could actually increase uh, down the road rather yeah. than decrease. Yeah, and the other aspect of this, of course, as we get a little deeper into the 2020 season, uh, people are likely to have a little better grip on their own financials, right? At this time of year, a lot of people perhaps haven't really done a, an update uh, their performance, so to speak. And so uh, as you get into the summer months, there are going to be more people doing that and looking a little more carefully at their own financial position. So yeah, I think it's something we're going to want to monitor going forward. That wraps up our discussion today. For more details about the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, go to our website, purdue.edu slash commercial ag. Joining us today on this episode of the Purdue Commercial Agcast was Dr. Michael Langemeyer, Associate Director of Purdue's Center for Commercial Agriculture. Thanks for listening, and I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. On behalf of the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minter.